I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Running an application in the cloud involves different tools and technologies, a lot of which are open source. Priyanka Sharma, director of technical evangelism and cloud native at GitLab, explained the tooling panorama in the cloud ecosystem. We talked about different tools and the challenges in integrating them to have an end-to-end -end cloud workflow using GitLab as an example. We also talked about serverless and Knative. Priyanka Sharma serves on the board of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, also known as CNCF, and has deep expertise in DevOps and observability. She advises startups at Heavybit Industries, an accelerator for developer products. T-shirts to support the show are now available at pseudoshirt.com. Go to pseudoshirt.com to get a lovely t-shirt with the logo from the show. Thank you. Priyanka Sharma, Director of Technical Evangelism at GitLab, is joining us today. Priyanka, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Today we're going to talk about cloud native, the ecosystem, and tooling. But before we get into that, can you talk a bit about your background? Yes, absolutely. So as you said, Adena, I'm Priyanka and I serve as Director of Technical Evangelism at GitLab. I've been in the infrastructure space for some time now. I made a career change from regular tech <laughs> into dev tools about five years ago when I was uh, building a time trafficking application for developers. And uh, that was my own startup. As I built that, I actually ended up also creating an advisory practice around helping developer products go to market. And that kind of took off. And I became an advisor at Heavybit, which is an accelerator for developer products. There, I was introduced to the founders of a company called Lightstep, who were experts in the practice of distributed tracing, which is in the observability world for uh, large complex systems. So the founders had built this thing called Dapper at Google, which was used to look at traces of requests across that system. Traces are basically when you follow a request from start to finish and the response that comes out. So it's a real-time snapshot and it's really useful when you're debugging any performance issues or uh, errors. So with Lightstep, I got really involved in the observability landscape. I was one of the earliest people working on the Open Tracing project, which was, I think, the third project to join the Cloud Native Computing Foundation or the CNCF. So kind of grew up with the CNCF in a way. And that has been a very valuable experience. As you all know now, CNCF has grown to be a very large and powerful organization. And I actually serve on the board now. And it's a big responsibility, but an awesome experience at the same time. Along the way, I've worked with a bunch of projects such as Jaeger Tracing. I've given talks that incorporate Prometheus, other logging, and all that about observability. And after Lightstep, I ended up joining GitLab. First, I was focused on cloud native alliances, which was very related to my work in the CNCF ecosystem with various projects. And what I've done in the cloud native side is just spread the GitLab technical vision and story in the ecosystem and also partner with startups and the CNCF foundation, etc., to build the right partnerships for us to launch the right features in time. And along the way, what we realized is that there's a lot of appetite for 
the technology story of GitLab. So we ended up moving my role to director of technical evangelism. I get to keep working with the CNCF and being involved with all these projects that I'm so passionate about. And at the same time, build out an org that is going to talk through, you know, the coolest pieces of the GitLab technology, how it relates to the cloud native ecosystem and DevSecOps. So I love my job. (laughs) That's great. And you mentioned you grew with the CNCF and that CNCF is very powerful now. For those that don't know what CNCF is, can you explain a little bit? Absolutely. So CNCF stands for Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It was uh, first formed to house Kubernetes, which was Google's uh, container orchestration open source project. And when they formed CNCF, Kubernetes came into the fold, but the executives, which are Chris Anischik and Dan Cohn, who I deeply respect, realized that Kubernetes enables microservices in a way that was hasn't been done before, and it has the potential to change how we build software. And when that is the case, you need a lot more than container orchestration because a lot of challenges come up when it comes to operationalizing these microservices. So uh, just to do a quick recap for those who would like to know, the microservices way is basically when you break down a monolithic software architecture and start building with small, nimble teams who are focused on a very specific service or endpoint or use case. And that way is very different from the monolithic way because suddenly things are decoupled and teams can move much faster, but they also generate a lot more data and are a lot more separated from each other. So as a result, operationalizing microservices is very different than how we would run a monolithic architecture. So the CNCF folks realized that if they're building a foundation to enable Kubernetes to become the orchestration system, they also need supporting projects, which are going to be about how to run microservices, how to do computing the cloud native way. So that's why the CNCF now hosts over 30 projects, which are, some are in the observability space, such as open tracing, Jaeger tracing, some are service meshes or reverse proxies, such as Envoy. And then there's also some like uh, authentication security ones like Spiffy, Spire, So there's a long list, but the CNCF has come to encompass projects that enable modern software development today. Exactly. And these projects are so-called cloud-native projects. And part of your role has been working on this cloud-native alliances. What does cloud-native mean? That's a great question. So cloud-native specifically is really a term that came up when the CNCF was born. I don't think it was around before. Um, it goes back to cloud computing. If you think about it, the biggest paradigm shifts in software development started happening when people were like, you know, I don't necessarily need my own data center. It started with AWS. So I can use AWS to, you know, host to be the compute provider. Uh, then came along Azure and GCP and et cetera, et cetera. So once people got comfortable with not running their own data centers, they started building software differently. And that was all the beginnings of like containerization with Docker, et cetera, then container orchestration with Kubernetes. So cloud native is a way of software development that maximizes the benefits you can get by not running your own data center, by using microservices and building software so that you ship really fast. Yeah, and we can also think about it, solutions that are built with the cloud in mind as a top priority, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if you're going to be, you know, using compute from a cloud provider, then how do we, you know, set up workflows and do things that are going to be like 
maximizing the value there and those projects enable that. Exactly. I want to move the conversation more to this whole ecosystem and DevOps and how this relates to the cloud space. Before we get into that, to get some context, I want to understand what GitLab does because I've seen uh, in various talks the GitLab world, how they're able to integrate all these workflows for the cloud. But first, can you explain what GitLab does? Absolutely. I will say I am glad you have seen talks where (laughs) GitLab is on display and you're seeing our very, very integrated tool chain. So I'm so happy to hear that. So what does GitLab do? So GitLab is the first single application for the entire DevOps lifecycle. And now we're expanding it to be the entire DevSecOps lifecycle. So it's a very broad product. It started in the very beginning as open source version control. We have two co-founders, Sid Siberendi, who's our CEO, and Dimitri, I can't say his last name, so I'm going to say DZ. We we all call him DZ. So Dimitri and uh, Sid are our co-founders, and Dimitri built GitLab just on his own because he wanted an open sourced hosted version of Git that he could use, you know? And so he put it out there and it gained traction on its own and Sid saw the value of the product and built a company around it with DZ. And as they did that, one of the moonshots DZ was working on was building CI runners because he was tired of, (laughs) you know, rebuilding his Jenkins builds. And as he did that and uh, contributors from the community started coming together and the suggestion from the community actually came that, hey, why don't you connect the version control and the CI piece. And initially, Sid was like, really? I mean, the Unix philosophy is like sharp tools. You use specific things for specific problems. I don't know if this is going to work. But with enough encouragement, they tried it out. And what they learned was that a connected single product of version control plus CI was had so many, you know, like sort of the sum is greater than the parts benefits that it was very powerful. And as that started our journey to become whatever we are now, which is the integrated single application for the DevOps lifecycle. So you start with the, you know, as you think about your projects, you start with the planning phase where you think through what you're going to build and people can use our plan functionality or they can use Jira and, and integrate it to GitLab. And then there's, you know, you write your code, then version control, and then you kick off CI/CD pipelines where in which you can run all kinds of tests. You can do the security scanning. You can look at review apps to check a lot of things. And then using GitLab itself, you can deploy to Kubernetes on any cloud of your choice. And then comes the post-production phase, which is the observability and the metrics. And you actually can get metrics out of the box from Prometheus without having to do anything. And you have like the optionality to like really like you know, customize what you do. So GitLab ends up becoming the end-to-end lifecycle. And uh, it's been a really powerful concept, especially in a world where there's just so many open source projects and tools out there for each issue. And for enterprises, that becomes untenable because you can't have 500 tools for an effective organization. So the way you're describing this end-to-end is that you begin the project from conception and you can do each of these steps all the way through deploying to the cloud. And then monitoring it live. And monitoring. Okay, that's pretty cool. And there are a lot of tools in this system. We talked a bit about this earlier with cloud native sort of hosting these projects, I think, or incubating is what they call their incubating these projects. Well, they have various levels, sandbox, incubating, I think, and then graduate. Yeah, and there are even projects outside of the CNCF. 
Can you talk a bit about the cloud native ecosystem? Absolutely. So yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of projects within CNCF and then lots of vendors and projects without CNCF. And it's a lot going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would say we are at a point of peak chaos in a way in terms of how the industry is set up because like with Kubernetes was so wildly successful. We did so great. And as an industry, we wanted to solve, as I was talking before, the problem of operationalizing microservices. So a lot of projects came out, which are very specific. They solve very specific problems. And many of them are very good at what they do. But what's also happened is that there's like 10 projects and vendors per category. And so often when you look at a company, like different teams, because they're in a build to be independent uh, with microservice architectures have chosen different tool sets. And what that leads to is that suddenly you're in one company, but between two teams, there is no visibility about what the other people are working on and where they're at in their process. It's very hard to jump and collaborate. So you're sort of waiting around instead of being able to parallel process because you don't use the same tools. You don't know where they're at. You don't know what's going on. And then finally, for, from an organizational perspective, it's really hard to set those guardrails that you need to set to enable your developers to actually function risk-free because there are so many tools out there, like how are you going to standardize things? And that's become the, an unfortunate reality of the cloud-native landscape because, I mean, and if you have any doubt about this being the reality, just go to any KubeCon, you know, and go to walk the booths, the sponsorship floor. It's so many companies and often the marketing message is so similar. It's kind of like, how are you two different? <laughs> it's very hard to understand the differentiation. And that's because often the devil is in the details of the technology. But many times there's also just very similar functionality out there. Mm -hmm. So that's what's been going on in the cloud native ecosystem. And I, I think that's also why the GitLab product has seen the level of enthusiasm and adoption that it has is because enterprises are realizing that, listen, I need to standardize here and I can't have 5 million tools. And I'll say another thing on the flip side, along with enterprises, when you think of young startups, what I've heard from a lot of friends in the, uh, who are builders in the community is that they're focused on solving the problem that they set out to solve with software and they're not trying to build tooling, you know? And so for them, GitLab is a very stress-free way to get started in a cloud-native manner without having to do their own decision-making on each tool that they will need. You talked about how there are various categories in the cloud-native ecosystem. Can you mention some of these categories that you're referring to? Oh, yeah, sure. So a lot of post-production has been a big fact. And like, as you know, my background is in observability. So that's a big aspect. So observability just is about, is like a superset of logging, tracing, metrics, and alerts. Grafana actually just released their LGTM stack, which is logging, Grafana, tracing, metrics, which I think is hilarious and awesome. And so that's the observability category. But within that, there are these three or four, I guess, subcategories, right? Which is what are you using for logging? What are you using for tracing? What are you using for metrics? And how are you alerting on them? So those would be four. Then another category would be cloud native security. So security is very much changed just by the factor that there is cloud computing going on 
add containers and the edges that are exposed just get so much more. So cloud native security has to have a different approach. And there's so many different kinds of vendors in that space. So there'll be application security, network security. There's so many options. Then other aspects I'm trying to think of that are important, like CICD tools themselves play a really critical role with cloud native because they're often the way people enable cloud native, right? And so those vendors are another aspect. Testing QA, that's another thing. So those are just some categories that I'm mentioning. I can go into more, but I think you get the picture. Yeah, we get the idea. And you've talked a lot about this before, this notion of the explosion of tools. You spoke about it in KubeCon in Shanghai. What are some advantages of having this explosion of tools? We talked some about the disadvantages, but are there any advantages to this explosion? Yes, absolutely. I think in a way this explosion was necessary. So I think when we started, as I was saying, operationalizing microservices is hard. And everybody was approaching it in a different manner because they had their own unique system requirements to pursue. And having all these many options was really helpful for the folks who were the early folks because they were the trailblazers and maybe needed a lot of options to find the exactly right thing for their system. And having all these tools has made it possible for all people to be able to be like, you know what? Yes, my system is a special snowflake, but hey, there's something for this special snowflake in the industry. And I think it brought a lot of people into the fold. Another advantage of having all these tools and systems has been that just frankly, the excitement. So there's like cloud native is exciting. Companies want to go cloud native. Companies want to build on microservices. Companies just, there's this momentum in the industry. And partially that's because so many people jumped in to support the movement with various tooling. So I think it's been really helpful to have had these. And then I will also say there are certain niche situations and problems that you can really only solve with a niche tool. And for that, you need like the options for that to be there. Exactly. I want to understand now how this experience can be improved, particularly related to what GitLab is doing. And also part of your role is to work on this cloud native alliances, which I'm guessing you work a lot with these projects and tools, for example, the ones from the CNCF or maybe even outside vendors. Can you talk about the integration? that's happening with a product like GitLab? That's a great question. And yes, that is something I'm deeply involved with, particularly on the observability side, since that happens to be my, you know, my thing. (laughs) Yes, let's talk about it under the observability part, because I assume it might be similar with the other categories. Yeah, totally. So that is definitely a big part of my job is to keep track of what is the latest developments in the cloud native ecosystem and helping uh, make sure that GitLab is leveraging the best projects and the best stories. Now, as a company that has over 100,000 organizations relying on it, we have to be a little bit careful, I would say, in terms of just like, you know, how we go about thinking through this. So we rely a lot on the community momentum and the technology story that we see. So as you may know, serverless has become a recent addition to the cloud native world because it's all about cloud computing and utilizing that to reduce costs for both the cloud provider and the end user. And it's a big part of the cloud native paradigm in my perspective now. And a project that came out that's been really influential has been Knative. Knative is not officially part of CNCF, but it's very much part of the cloud native family, if you think of just from the first principles, right? And we at GitLab knew that 
GitLab is used by organizations to, you know, build, test, deploy, monitor code, right? It's the entire DevOps lifecycle. And that needs to include serverless, otherwise it's incomplete. So we were looking at the market to see how can we provide a way that people can cloud agnostically run serverless functions via GitLab. And Knative bubbled up to the top. And as I was looking at the industry, we were talking to various you know, startups, thought leaders in the space. And we ended up talking to Sebastian Guasquan, who created the Kubeless project. The Kubeless project was a precursor to Knative, basically. In that conversation, there was very clearly a mission alignment of making it easier to run serverless workloads in a cloud agnostic manner. And so we partnered with them and released GitLab Serverless at KubeCon last year. And I was deeply involved, not just in finding them and getting the contracts signed, but also in pushing the functionality out along with the product and engineering teams. And that was such a fun experience. And lately, uh, actually, it was this Monday. Yeah. So a couple of days ago, our CEO did the ultimate test. So he went through our GitLab serverless documentation for the first time ever. And within 30 minutes, he was able to set everything up, uh, um, set up a Kubernetes cluster, and then deploy a Ruby serverless function code and see that live. And it was such a thrilling experience that we were able to extend GitLab that well to offer serverless to our end users. And uh, that came very much through a collaboration with the community, with open source and our product and edge teams. One highlight of this that you mentioned is to be able to do this whole serverless deployment in a cloud agnostic manner. Can you explain what this means? Yes. So if you think about serverless today, the offerings in the market are very tied to cloud providers. So AWS has Lambda, Google has, I think, Google Cloud Functions, Azure has Azure Functions, and these are very, they like kind of operate independently, right? And that's fine. That's been a good way for people to get started. But at GitLab, we work with large enterprises and they are multi-cloud. They work with multiple cloud providers and they have you know, different things they use different providers for. And they don't want to be locked into one vendor. But just by nature, serverless to date had been vendor specific. But with the coming of Knative, we are being able to help people deploy to any cloud of their choice. Can you explain a little bit what Knative is? Because I know it sounds like it's focused to serverless. So it enables serverless. So basically what Knative is about is auto-scaling. So Knative is a project that's come out of Google and I think the Pivotal folks and a bunch of other companies have been in, IBM have been involved. Sorry, I may have been missing some partners on this, so I'm sorry, but a quick Google search should tell you. But yeah, it's been an intercompany endeavor, and the key goal was to provide auto-scaling on top. It's like paradigms on top of Kubernetes so that people can auto-scale. Auto-scaling means that you can spin a function or like a service or an application, really anything. It doesn't have to be a function, actually, up and down based on how much is needed. So let's say you have a photo application, right? And you have uh, like the home page, which needs to be like, you know, everybody uses it all the time. So you need like, you know, running and available. So it needs to be scaled up at all times. So that's fine. But let's say that you have a tab on there, which is like my first photo, which is somewhere in the corner somewhere, which is not used all the time. So 
that function is idling very often. And so for that one, not using, why should you use compute resources for that? You shouldn't have to, right? Because it's not in use all the time. So you can use Knative to auto scale. So that one is spun up only when somebody is using it and you're not wasting compute otherwise. And this, I gave a function example, but you could have full applications that are like that, that, you know, they just like need to be running sometimes and so for them you shouldn't be using compute and spending money when you don't need to so knative enables auto scaling scaling up and down based on whether regard based on kubernetes regardless of whether you're an app or a function and so that becomes the building block for a lot of serverless work because the whole point of serverless is to only be charged for compute when you use it Exactly, which is why you also mentioned earlier a, a big part of this is saving money. Yeah, I will say an interesting paradigm I'm noticing, which was a bit of a surprise to me, was just how many enterprises are saying, you know what, we're going to go serverless first. Because it cost is motivator, but because of that motivation, they're like, we're going to think of our development paradigm, like we're going to change how we decide to develop things by like making one of the like parameters of discussion can we do this in a serverless way first? So their workflows are changing, which is really cool. Exactly. And I got to see a project about this in in one of the KubeCons. Somebody was demoing an application to buy tickets for theater, I think. And they were saying this company built it entirely in serverless, that their functionality was sufficient to be used with serverless. So like you said. Yes, I think these are like a lot of the like the no code startups, yeah. right? Which are like they don't need to have full applications with like all the shenanigans. They Exactly. They can just it definitely reduces the barrier to entry of developing uh, applications, I think. Throughout your time working in this space of cloud native and observability, are there any trends you've been seeing? You mean meta trends that I expect to like, you know, kind of come through in the year, next year or so? Yes, something like that, yeah. Yes, I can definitely speak to that. So I think while we were all very focused on <laughs> independent tooling in the last two years, now because people have realized the need for unifying your tool chain, there's going to be a lot more interest on the CICD side of things. CICD was its own separately talked about thing, I feel like, in the cloud native ecosystem. But I am part of conversations right now which are going to bring it very mainstream. And uh, actually the GitLab vision of a single application or a single tool chain that can put together all these various tooling needs for you is becoming a lot more mainstream. And there are some announcements that are going to come out at the Open Source Leadership Summit. So I encourage you to like watch out for that, which are going to talk through this new focus or this bent in the industry to prioritize the CICD story to enable all this various tooling. So that's one big thing that I think we should all look out for. One last thing that I wanted to ask you is related to working at GitLab because I saw that the company is remote. Can you talk a bit about this and how it's worked out and just sort of how do they make it work? Because I think it's hundreds of employees, right? 475 right now. Wow. In 45 countries. <laughs> and they're all remote. Yep, 45 countries. 
and counting. <laughs> yeah, can you get some insight on what that's been like? Absolutely. Okay, so I will tell you this. I have never remote before. This was my first time when I joined the company. And frankly, I was a bit apprehensive because uh, I'm, you know, one of those office rats. I just used to go into the office and just like hang out there, socialize there, work there, eat there. It's kind of sad. <laughs> so I was just very nervous that like, how is this going to work? I'm an extroverted person. I like to like collaborate with my coworkers. But you know, there was an after an adjustment period of about three, four months. I love it. It's super productive for me. So eight hours of work or 10 hours of work at GitLab are like add two more hours at a regular company. There are a few reasons for that. One is I don't have to move going from meeting to meeting. So just before I talked to you, I was in a different meeting. And I didn't have to go anywhere to get to talk to you, right? Yeah. And I saved a solid 10 minutes on that. And so that like time saving, it seems small, but it really adds up. And the other thing is like, and that kind of makes me a lot more productive. And I love that feeling of, yes, I got shit done. I got moving this, I got accomplished today. So that's one thing. The other thing is that just because we're fully remote, we have no choice but to be extremely responsive to each other. So if you message someone on Slack, you're going to get a reply for sure. And most likely really, really fast. And also because we are, the sun never sets on the GitLab <laughs> workforce, you can always find someone to talk through a problem with or like discuss something with. So if, if you're working late because you're a night out, there'll be someone maybe in Shanghai who can talk to you or somebody maybe in India you can chat with or Australia, whatever. So there's that like support that's always available, which I really like. And our CEO, he has built this really interesting culture where we document everything. So we have the GitLab handbook, which is where we write a, like every process there can be, a lot of our thinking around things. And we try to make everything open, not first in the handbook, but also through like a lot of our video calls there on our YouTube channel. A lot of our, actually most, I should say, not a lot, most of our stuff is public by default. So it's a public by default mentality. So And that's enabled by our product, actually, and the fact that we're open source. So there's a lot of transparency and copious documentation. And on top of that, we basically live on Zoom. <laughs> so when the day ends for me, frankly, I am done with, as, with the amount of people time I needed. <laughs> and I'm ready to retreat into my home life. So it's worked out really well. There was an adjustment period where I was initially just like, you know, taking calls from bed. And that's a bad idea. Let me tell you that. You have to pretend that you have to get out and leave the house because then you change your clothes, have breakfast and you have that routine. Yeah. But once you get that set, it's awesome. And I read an article about this GitLab remote and it was mentioning that there there's this thing sometimes like a virtual coffee break where you can just talk with people about, you know, random stuff like the weekend. And is that true? Oh, yeah, I do like at least two coffee breaks a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just fun, you know, hanging out. And, you know, I'll tell you this. Because we have to make an effort to do that stuff, we value it more. And I've gotten to know a lot of my GitLab teammates really closely, which I love. Like we're friends and like we know each other's like, you know, like so-and-so loves this. So-and-so is an avid gardener. So-and-so is that just because like we've made an effort to do that coffee chat online. We have this donut bot, which randomly picks two people in the company and says, hey, you two meet. And that's a really good way to like meet people you've never heard of because it's a big company now, right? Yeah, yeah, really big. And a similar thing that we do, which is not exactly a coffee chat, but you can think of it as like a water cooler, 
is that every day we have a team call from 8.30 to 9 where we, you know, get various updates. But right at the end of that team call, like whenever all the agenda items are done, we break into small groups, which are like we have the same group for a quarter, I think. And we talk every day. And it's not required. So like if you're busy, you don't have to show up. But like we have this group of people, we are all getting close to each other because we talk almost every day, every other day. And just we have some like random topic to discuss like, oh, favorite movie of all time or what are you doing for the holidays? And that brings you closer as a company. Exactly. And you also do get to meet them in person, right? There's, I assume, you know, the company gathers or something. Yes. So every year, actually every 10 months or so, we do like a summit, the teammate summit with some top contributors. Last year it was in Cape Town. This year, it's going to be in New Orleans. It's called GitLab Contribute. And there, like the whole company descends on this location in a hotel for a week. And our focus is each other. We focus on learning from each other. We do like unconference, workshops. We teach each other things. And also, we just like have a big party and socialize. It's awesome, actually. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. People have said it's more fun than Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, Priyanka, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you.